We are in our last message in our 2023 Summer Psalter. And the chapter we're looking at tonight is one of the most practical of all the Psalms. This is so full of uh, practical stuff. And it's really dealing with two areas uh, in our lives that tend to take up the most of our time, tend to uh, discourage and frustrate us the most, and yet at the same time, uh, it tends to give us the greatest sense of fulfillment. This, uh, this psalm talks about uh, work and home. Working home. And uh, while well, it brings out frustrations and struggles that it can accompany working home, the great news is Psalm 127 also tells us the solution and how to maximize uh, the journey of life down here in those two areas. So we are in book five. So the Psalms have, are made up of four books, five books. We're in book five. Uh, book five is chapters 107 to 150. So book five, chapters 107 to 150. If you take your Bible and look at uh, chapter 120, uh, you'll see at the top of it uh, something that goes like this, a song of ascents. And you go to Psalm 121, a song of ascents. And Psalm 122, a song of ascents. Uh, so there's 15 songs of ascent here in a row in book number five. There's something very unique in Psalm 127, and I'd invite you to open your Bibles uh, either paper or electronic copy and uh, spend the rest of the evening there with me. Psalm 127 uh, reads a little bit differently, different than Psalm 128, differently than Psalm 129. It says, a song of ascents of Solomon. The other Psalms just say a song of ascents. This Psalm says a song of ascents of Solomon. Now, Augustine, uh, some people call him Augustine. Augustine had this to say in his commentary about Psalm 127. Among all the songs entitled song, the Song of Degrees, which we now call Song of Ascents, this Psalm has a further addition to the title that it is Solomon's, for thus it is entitled, A Song of Degrees of Solomon. So I'm pointing out this for two reasons. Number one, Solomon, uh, or Augustine, mentions Solomon here, uh, and finds something important in it mentioning Solomon. 
But I also want you to point out to point out that Augustine lived from 354 to 430 AD. Some of us somewhere along the line picked up the idea that somewhere, maybe 16th century, 17th century, 18th, we put these little titles at the top of the psalm to help us understand things. These titles have been a part of inspired scripture from the beginning. And so Augustine is saying here way back in the late 4th century that this is written by Solomon and he refers to the title. The title has always been there. And so if you're doing justice to scripture, if you're doing justice to the Psalms, if you're just doing justice to reading the Psalms, you don't skip over that top stuff and say, oh, that doesn't matter. Somebody just put it in there. That's irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. It's part of the original inspiration of scripture. And it needs to be included and uh, inserted in our thinking as we get to know the Psalms. So this is... A song of a sense of Solomon. I'll get back to that at the end uh, because I think it's important for us to know. Can I tell you a story? Story of Ebenezer. Ebenezer lived in a town called Capernaum, which is at the very top end of the Sea of Galilee. It was a fine Jewish uh, boy. He watched his parents as he was going, uh, growing up, and they went to the synagogue in Capernaum, and those of you who've been to Israel on a trip have probably been to that synagogue, at least the foundation of it. He was at, he watched, he saw his parents uh, go to the synagogue uh, three times a day, morning, noon, afternoon, and evening. His parents went to synagogue morning, afternoon, and evening the whole time he was growing up. And Ebenezer grew up, and Ebenezer started to do the same thing himself. He went to the synagogue to pray in the morning and mid-afternoon and, and in the evening. Because that's what good Jewish boys did. And when the early church was being established and getting rooted... Uh, guess what they kept on doing? They kept on going to church and gathering every single day too. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 uh, through to verse number 1 of the next chapter. Day by day, not just on Sunday, not just Saturday night, Pastor, you got to be kidding. Day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church number day by day those who were being saved. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the, the mid-afternoon prayer time. 
Ebenezer from Capernaum. His parents went to pray three times a day. He made it his own habit. And then, when the church was established after Christ rose from the dead triumphant, the church kept that pattern up too, day by day, praying, gathering together to pray. And then on the Sabbath, Saturday, they set aside the whole day to do nothing except worship God and honor God and hear instruction from the Word of God. These guys, what were they doing? What were they thinking? You say, well, they didn't have much to do back then. Didn't have much to do back then. Do you really believe that? Uh, they didn't have washing machines. They didn't have dryers. They didn't have dishwashers. As a matter of fact, they didn't have indoor plumbing. They had to go probably a couple of times a day and walk to the well and get the water to bring back to their house. Didn't have any electricity for their fridge. So they had to figure out how to preserve all of their food. And guess what? They didn't stop after two or three kids. Oh, they had nothing. To, you really think they had nothing to do? They were busy people. And yet somehow they went to the synagogue to pray in the morning, in the mid-afternoon, in the evening, and they took Saturdays and said, we're not doing nothing. And it gets worse, friends. It gets worse. Or better. Three times a year, if you were a good Hebrew person, a good Jew like Ebenezer from Capernaum was, you made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Took a trip to Jerusalem and uh, you celebrated three different festivals. They didn't call them a pain in the butt. Ah, church again. They called them festivals. They called them parties. Three times a year, they went for a party of worship in Jerusalem, Passover, Pentecost, and the Festival of Tabernacles. Two in spring, one in the fall. Ebenezer would get his tunic together and find his water flask and some dried figs and some olive oil and something to uh, throw down on the ground when he went to sleep at night because hotel system wasn't quite like ours. And he began to walk to Jerusalem. 
day one, the crowd was pretty thin, but all the Jews were making their way to Jerusalem. By day two, the crowd was thicker. Day three, it was thicker. Day four, day, day six, they took them seven or eight days to get to Jerusalem. And sometimes on the way to Jerusalem, I think they were wondering, what am I doing this for? And then the elders would take out these songs of ascent. See, Jerusalem's the highest point in the nation of Israel. They were climbing their way. The whole trip was uphill to Jerusalem. They were ascending to Jerusalem, and they were singing this song. Let me read it to you. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. They'd be ascending to Jerusalem, and the elders would be leading the growing crowd in these wonderful songs of praise and worship. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the house. What is the house? What is the house? Some would say, well, it's that, it's that, that, physical thing that I go home to at the end of the day. That's the house. Others would say, no, 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 no. That's not what that's talking about. That's talking about the synagogue, the temple, the sanctuary, the church. The Lord's not building the church. We're in trouble. And others would say, no, it's the family. It's the family. One of the safest ways to interpret Scripture is, is to always look at things in context. And I'm not saying that you should ignore God's direction and leadership when you're physically building a house, if you're ever building one. And boy, do we ever need God to build the neighborhood church. Yes, a thousand times, yes. But in context... In context, I'm convinced the house that's being referred to here is our family. Verses 3 to 5, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of the warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is, is filled with them. 
I'm convinced that it's actually family that's being talked about here. And unless the Lord builds our family, uh, we got some serious problems. I want to share with you, hopefully fairly quickly, things to remember, to remember in the demands of life, the demands of work, and the demands of, of home and family. And the first thing we need to remember, the first thing we need to remember is that wrong priorities make life meaningless and leads to anxiety. Wrong priorities makes life meaningless and leads to anxiety. Verse number two, it is vain, it is in vain that you rise up early and, and go late to bed. What are you doing that for? And so Ebenezer's marching to Jerusalem and, 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 and it takes more than a day to get to Jerusalem by foot from Capernaum. And the first day it's kind of fun and you're talking and with the guys and hadn't really had an extended. Second day's okay and then third day, fourth day, you're beginning to think, what am I doing this for? I got work back in Capernaum. I think I'll turn around and get back to what really matters. And then the elders say, <laughs> it, 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 it's meaningless. It's vain to always be worrying about getting your work done, to rise up early and go late to rest. It's vain. It's empty. It's futile. It's silly. And so what do we see here in this psalm that we talked about a month or six weeks ago? It's this building into our lives these rhythms where we quit everything and get our eyes back on what really matters. So they've got this rhythm where three times a day they stop saying, ah, I'll be back boss in 20 minutes. I'm running to, running to sanctuary, running to temple, go to pray a little bit three times a day. Saturday they shut it all down to, to remember what really matters. And then that's probably not enough for all of us. <laughs> Three times a year, they go to a party in Jerusalem. It takes a week to get there, and the party lasts a week. <laughs> and then it takes a week to get back home. Oh, this is driving me crazy. I got work to be doing. But no, this is the best thing that could ever happen to you 
because it gets you focused on what really matters again. And you know, between Passover and Pentecost, you hardly ever get home to have to turn around. They're only 49 days apart, and for seven of those days are spent uh, getting back home, and seven days are spent getting to the next party again. They're taking these breaks to remind them what they need to be building their lives on. It's built in to the rhythm of the Hebrew Jewish worship community. Friends, uh, Psalm 127, verse 2, it's vain to rise up early and go late to rest. <laughs> Sometimes you need to get away from it all and just get focused on Him. Friends, don't spend your life working like the devil. Learn to work like a believer. And believers have a rhythm in their life of work and rest. Work and rest. Psalm 3, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 3, uh, verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people who've set themselves against me all around. You know why there's so much fear in the world anymore? Oh, oh now. I'm convinced it's because we don't take time to rest as we should, and we don't have the disciplines in our lives that are always pointing us back to Him who will protect us against all the challenges of the world. Psalm chapter 4, verses 8. Verse 8, Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I'll both lie down and sleep for you alone, or Lord, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Just learn to rest in Him. Don't work like the devil, friends. Work like a believer. Build those rhythms into your life. Interesting phrase there, verse 2, uh, chapter 127. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Do you know what, uh, what eating the bread of anxious toil, what word we would use in the 21st century to describe that? It's called stress. Just gobbling stress up as if it's something normal. Stop eating stress. Go to sleep. And get your eyes on Jesus. Second, a second thing to remember in the demands of life. Every area of, Christians, of a Christian life needs to be surrendered to God's authority. Every area of a Christian's life needs to be surrendered to God's authority. I don't know where it, how it crept into our churches. I don't know how it crept into our hearts. This kind of division of secular and sacred well, I'm doing that secular stuff. I can, I can do that the way I want it. It's, it's secular. But there's sacred stuff that I really need to... When it's sacred, I need to be spiritual. And Paul writes to us, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. I think it's verse 23. If I'm wrong, read the whole third chapter of Colossians tonight. It's in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Everything we do, friends, is spiritual. 
Everything, everything we do is spiritual. Every area of our life needs to be surrendered to God's authority. Uh, the crest of uh, the city of Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, looks like this. And I don't know how clearly uh, you can see it at the top, but the words on the crest in Edinburgh, Scotland, are Nisi Dominust Hustra. Nisi Dominus Hustra, Latin words. The Latin words mean, and it's a direct quote of, of the first uh, few words of Psalm 127, verse 1, into the Latin. It means, without the Lord, frustration. Without the Lord, frustration. When we get going, 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 and we're going, 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 and we're not building rhythms into our life that take our eyes back to Him, we, we just begin to eat the bread of anxious toil. We get frustrated and we get stressed out. We have to lean into Him we have to trust him. Without the Lord, there is frustration. Three times in verses 1 and 2. Let me read you verses 1 and 2 and, uh, and point it out to you. Three times. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late. late. It, it, friends, being a workaholic, you may be proud of that, but I got biblical news for you here tonight. It's in vain. It is in vain. And I have taught enough over the last 20 years about what the word vain means that some of you could probably come up here and give the definition. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall not regard it as vain means empty. It's empty, it's futile, it's foolish to just get going, 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 going. That's not the meaning of life. We're to be people whose eyes and schedules are centered and built and focused on God and his goodness. And friends, you can build the greatest walls in the world, but ultimately it's the Lord who protects us. For years, we never locked our doors at home. People thought we were nuts. Well, maybe we were. But I tell you, you can lock your doors tight, and if the Lord stops watching over your house, you're still in trouble. Walk the Great Wall of China. 
number of years back, didn't finish the walk, but uh, would have walked a lot further, but uh, Donna was exhausted just thinking about going on the walk. So I respected uh, the fact I had a wife sitting at the base of the wall. But this, this wall, a uh, picture of it's probably next, uh, goes on and on and on. I forget how, how many miles it is. Martin, do you, do you know how long the Wall of China is? Say it again. Haven't been there. Well, anyhow, I think it's about 400 miles long. I know it's 12, it might even be longer than that. It's, it varies from 12 feet to 40 feet wide. And the Chinese people, oh, pardon me? It's just over 21,000 kilometers. 21,000 kilometers, so it's even longer, thank you. Google's a wonderful thing. Oh no, Pastor Yasmin knows everything. Sorry, I forgot that part. Uh, 21,000 kilometers, 12 to 40 feet wide. And uh, China built it so the nation of Mongolia could not get into their land. They built this monstrous wall and Mongolia still invaded. you know how they invaded? Mongolia bribed the guards We need the Lord's protection, friends. All the stuff we think we can do to bring protection, it's all in vain. It's empty. It's useless. We need Him. And every area of our lives needs to be surrendered to Him. And I think the best way to do that is have these rhythms built into our life where we're constantly returning to Him. We've got things built into our daily rhythm that brings us back to Him. We've got things in our weekly rhythm, good for being here, that focuses our eyes on Him. And we take even more extended seasons when we're just focusing on Him. Third thing, uh, third thing we need to remember uh, in the demands of life our greatest life responsibility is to pass a love for God and His ways on to the next generation. That's our greatest life responsibility. I know we all don't have children, um, but I do know that all of us have a responsibility to the next generation. And children, whether they're blood children or they're adopted children or they're nieces or nephews or there's some little one that you fall in love with at your church or in your neighborhood, or maybe the early learning center you work in. Those little ones are our greatest responsibility. You see, all of this work, 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 stay up, stay up, stay up. And verses one and two, it's described as vain, it's futile, it's empty, it's, it's, it, it's meaningless. 
But verse number five, blessed is the man who, who's got a quiver of children that he or she is feeling responsible for. You notice how they're described, these little ones? They're described as arrows in the hands of a warrior. Arrows in the hands of the warrior. Until this week, I, I've never thought about this. To be honest with you, this chapter was driving me crazy the first three days of this week. Lord, I can't think of anything to say, and now listen to me. Arrows. Arrows. Arrows have both an element of nature and nurture. You see, they didn't come off of assembly lines when this was written. If you're going to build an arrow, you went out and you found a tree. And you found a branch on a tree to make your arrow with. You didn't have anything to do with that. Nature looked after making sure there was a branch out there. But it didn't end there. After you got the branch, you had to, you had to get involved in, uh, in nurturing uh, that branch. Uh, there's nature and nurture involved in arrows. And your kids' friends, they've got some of your nature in you, in them how it works. But you can't leave them to their own devices or the devices they inherited from you. You've got to do some nurturing. And so these arrows need to be nourished. The arrows need to be nourished. The arrows God blesses us with need to be nourished and straightened and polished and empowered. So you take this branch that's fairly straight, but fairly straight isn't good enough for an arrow. You gotta take that arrow, and this is what I'm told from Google. Um, I never look at Google in church. I'm too spiritual for that. <laughs> but but I, I was in Google this week, and uh, and, and I'm, I'm told they took the branch and they they hold the branch. And thank you for rescuing me there, Pastor Husband, um, with the correct distance. But they take that arrow and they hold it over a fire, but before they're holding it over a fire, they've, they've put all kinds of fat on it or all kinds of oil on it so that branch will get heated through and through. They don't let it burn, they just get it, let it get good and hot and then they straighten the branch. There's some nurturing, some adventure, and some, uh, some uh, investment, investment in that branch. And you have to remove the bark and you have to uh, 
remove the, the, the stubs from other little branches that have been trying to grow off the branch. You've got to get this thing smooth and you've got to get it straight. You've got to nourish. And God blesses us with kids, friends. God blesses us with kids. But our greatest responsibility is to take them and nourish them. Because hear me, if you don't believe it yet, you will get to the point when nothing will bring you joy and nothing will bring you pleasure. Like seeing your kids loving Jesus and seeing your kids doing well in life and seeing them raise their kids to love God. In the end, that's what's going to matter. So nourish them, friends. Nourish them. And then you, then you have to also go find a piece of bone or or a rock, and you got to work away at it, and you've got to make a sharp arrowhead to attach to the end of the arrow. Because until there's an arrowhead on the end, they're not empowered to accomplish anything. They're just a pretty little stick. To empower them to accomplish what God has called them to do and be. But powerful kids who don't have right priorities are dangerous. You know what else you have to do? You have to teach them how to point the arrow at the right things. Our greatest responsibility, friends, is the arrows in our lives. The arrows in our church. The nieces and nephews, that's our greatest responsibility. I gotta wrap up here. Can I take you to the top here? The superscription. A song of a sense of Solomon. <laughs> Solomon is a bundle of contradictions. I think we all are. But man, he, I think he's the biggest bundle. He's described as the wisest man who ever lived. And this is, this is his word to us. I think he probably wrote this at the end of his life. I, I'm just guessing there. Nobody knows. And I think he's probably writing out of regrets. Here's a guy who had 700 wives. What? Who said that? 700 wives, 300 concubines. A thousand women. I don't know if he was responsible for keeping them happy or they're trying to keep him happy. I don't know which was which. A thousand women. And he gets to the end of the life. And I read the book, and he's only got one son that we know of from the book. 
one son, a thousand women, one son, named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was a messed up guy who divided the kingdom of Israel. Ten tribes and two tribes, and ten tribes said, we're not following you, Rehoboam, you're such a terrible leader. They went with uh, Jeroboam, and he had two tribes left. And that's his legacy. <laughs> now, of course, Jesus manages to come down through the line, but friends, doesn't do us any good to be the king of a nation, to have a throne. Doesn't do us any good to have a whole lot of money and a whole lot of wealth. Doesn't do us any good to have some great title and some business card that makes us sound really, really important. Doesn't really do you any good to wake up at four in the morning and work till 11 o'clock at night. It's all in vain. It's all empty. It's all meaningless. Most important thing we do in life and say, oh God, help me. Help me to build a life, help me to build a house, help me to build a family that knows you and loves you and pursues you with all of their heart. I uh, don't think this is a night for us to stand and dance and sing and shout. I think this is a night for us to have a few Selah moments before we leave. We're just going to play some music softly in the background. Invite you maybe to kneel. <laughs> Maybe you want to lay down in front of the chair. Maybe you just want to sit there with your eyes closed. Maybe your head on the chair in front of you. But would you recommit yourself to the arrows in your life? And would you recommit yourself to making sure you have rhythms in your life that keep taking you back to God to remind you of what really ought to be mattering to you. Let's turn this into a place of prayer. And then I'm going to close the service with a benediction and blessing.